Thank you, uh, Pastor Tom, for your uh, wonderful reflection on the Psalms and the vision of abundant life that is both spiritual and uh, relational, uh, but also physical, holistic, uh, which involves the restoration of God's creation, um, which is also the work of justice. I, um, uh, I am originally from Chile, South America. Uh, my father uh, is from Panama, but he went to Chile, Concepcion, Chile, a little further south, uh, about six hours or eight hours by train uh, uh, south of Santiago. And uh, so I come from a large family uh, and uh, on both sides, Chile and Panama. We migrated to Panama when I was a, maybe a year old or so and um, was raised in Panama until I came to the United States. So I have now lived in the United States longer than I ever lived in Chile or Panama or Chile and Panama put together. So I'm officially what they call a first generation immigrant to the, to the United States. Uh, I uh, married a Tracy from St. Louis, Missouri, a German Irish girl. And uh, we have two kids, Lucas and Anna, both studying online. Uh, Lucas in college and Anna in high school. So we have them both at home. And it has been a great, a great blessing. I work at Concordia Seminary in San Luis. I see that I have a, a colleague here, uh, Douglas Grohl, who uh, was uh, the former director of the Hispanic Institute of Theology. I am his successor in what we now call the Center for Hispanic Studies. And we provide theological formation, uh, research, uh, continuing ed uh, opportunities in the Spanish uh, language, or for uh, those in the church interested uh, in Hispanic Latino ministries. So that's a little bit of what I do. So I get to I get to teach both in English and Spanish uh, in this United States of America, <laughs> and it's uh, been a great blessing to to do that. Um, uh, bilingual, bicultural, uh, sometimes by work, <laughs> because you're on, always attending to uh, uh, two, uh, two different worlds and then bridging those and working together. But it's a wonderful thing because it's a way to experience uh, Revelation 7, when you have people of all tribes and nations and languages collaborating uh, we all have a contribution to make to the work of the church and a contribution that is valuable and that brings in the gifts of all people. So uh, very important, you know, to think of uh, what we all bring to the table, all those gifts. So um, Pastor Tom asked me to uh, offer some reflections um, that helps us uh, to think about uh, the work of God in a way that it embraces uh, what might be called Catholicity. 
So in other words, when we think about the unity of the church, we confess the church not only to be one, but to be holy, to be apostolic, and to be Catholic. Sometimes we translate that to be Christian. Uh, but the term Catholic sometimes gets lost on us. And probably part of the reason is because we tend to think Roman Catholic, you know. Uh, but that's just one way of thinking about the term Catholic. There is also little C Catholic, which has to do with the church being universal, the church uh, uh, being of the whole world, both in terms of the times, uh, but in terms of its diversity too. So the church that you were speaking of, of all uh, languages, tribes, and nations, and um, um, the oneness of the church does not exist without the Catholicity of the church. I think this is a very important point to keep in mind. If you only speak of oneness, that can very easily become uh, a oneness defined according to only one culture or one ethnicity or one race or one language. And so rather than becoming a Catholic universal a church of all nations, one becomes a mono church, monolinguistic, monoethnic racial, uh, monocultural. And if you if 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 that vision of the of unity, right, which is a deform vision of unity, uh, meaning a homogeneous, uh, homogeneous uh, uh, vision of unity uh, remains, uh, then uh, you know we do not embody uh, that which God Himself sees as the church in Revelation seven. And, uh, and mono, fill in the blank, ethnic, linguistic, cultural, eventually can become uh, not only mono, but anti. <laughs> so in other words, I, because I'm used to only my own comfort zone, my own culture, my own language, then I become suspicious of the other, uh, the other's culture, the other language, the other uh, ethnic group. So uh, I've, been spending quite a bit of time, you know, as uh, uh, someone who is from the church, the one church, but also the Catholic church about, you know, what are about, what are those narratives? What are those stories? What are those biblical passages that help us to think in a more Catholic way, you know? And uh, in my wheelhouse, one of the things that I get to teach is uh, the theology of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so one of my angles, it's not the only one, but one of my angles to get at the issue of Catholicity, to get at the issue of diversity, uh, which I think Catholic language gets at in a, in a, in a theological uh, Christian way, you know, like the, you know, the society speaks of diversity. What is the church's language? Part of the church's language is, I think, Catholicity, to get at that issue. Uh, but where do we find it in Scripture? Uh, Pastor mentioned Revelation 7, which is part of the Johannine literature, right? Part of those writings that uh, are attributed to, to John. And so I thought I'd bring in 
a little bit more John this morning and just share with you a couple of passages from the Gospel of John. And uh, it is as uh, Pastor Tom, as, as if we are being guided by a higher hand here, because I didn't, I wasn't sure you were going to uh, <laughs> bring a, a revelation. But um, so I think the Gospel of John, there are places where it brings the Holy Spirit into the picture of what God is doing. But in a way that the Spirit works kind of from what would be considered the margins, right? So when you think of margins and marginalized peoples, you think of people who are not fully in, you know? They're kind of out there. Uh, they're not considered to be a part of the kingdom, we might say. And, uh, and that might be because of a perception uh, about people, not so much because of God, because God brings into his kingdom all those who are brought to it through his grace and favor in Christ. But humans are a different animal. <laughs> we, we sometimes have doubts about God being able to do things like that. And, and fully bringing into the life of the church people who are other and who look and speak, with, as I like to say, with an accent. And uh, what's interesting about the work of the Spirit here, uh, first of all, is that the Spirit is portrayed in the book of John as abiding or uh, resting or remaining on Jesus. And I want to show you where that comes up. So if you look at John 1, uh, John 1 verse 30. Two and 33. So John first talks about uh, Jesus being the Word, right? Uh, who is God, right? So there's the divinity of Jesus in John 1, 1. Uh, and then John 1, 3, through the Word, all things were made. So he's creator, right? But then John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right, so now you have the, the what's called the mystery of the incarnation, and then you have uh, the witness of John the Baptist. First, that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and then you have this spirit language coming in here. It says thirty-two and thirty-three, and John, this is John the Baptist, bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him meaning on Jesus, the incarnate word of God. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So what I want to draw your attention to uh, here is that Jesus here is uh, referred to as one upon whom the Holy Spirit remains. Um, he is sort of the privilege, in a sense, place of the Spirit. You want to see what this life in the Spirit looks like? Look at Jesus, you know, this kind of thing. The Spirit remains on him. Uh, perhaps in contrast to the prophets where the Spirit came for a specific work. In the case of Jesus, the Spirit is connected to the work of Jesus, but also 
is with him in a permanent way. You know, there is this note of, of permanence. Now, why is this important? Because even though Jesus is portrayed in this wonderful way, when you get to uh, verse 43 of the same chapter, there are some doubts being raised about how great really this Jesus is to begin with. And uh, you have here uh, Jesus calling uh, his disciples Philip and Nathaniel. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Now keep that in mind, Galilee, because it's going to be important. <laughs> He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, which would have been a city in Galilee. Galilee is kind of a bigger region. You have different cities in it. So Bethsaida would be one of them. The city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, now, look, look at this here, the question. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Nazareth would have been another town in Galilee, right? So here you have the word God, you know, creator incarnate on the Lamb of God, right? Uh, the spirit is with him. He bears the spirit and yet there are questions because he's from Galilee. You know, he's from Nazareth in Galilee. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because, and this is, uh, 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 this is something that I gather and learn, especially from Virgilio Elizondo, a U.S.-Mexican uh, uh, theologian who talks about uh, the Galilean location or place of Jesus's identity and his work. Jesus, as you know, was raised in uh, Galilee. And so there were suspicions at the time about uh, people who came out of, or the Jews that came out of this part of uh, the Near East. Because if you wanted to be the right kind of Jew, you know, the trusted kind of Jew, the holy kind of Jew, you were supposed to be from Jerusalem. Remember that that's where the temple is, that, that, you know, that's where God's holy presence is. That's where the smarty people are, right, uh, who speak God's word, the leaders of Israel and so on. Uh, this is the place to be from. So you're going to tell me that something great, that something that is from God, uh, uh, that our salvation comes from this marginal place? You got to be kidding me. This is crazy, you know. So, uh, Nathaniel himself is from Galilee, which I think is interesting. He himself has doubts about whether people who are kind of like from his own part of town, whether God can actually do, do great things through them. And I think this is interesting because sometimes in ethnic ministries, because of the, of, of the marginality, of those who are different from what we traditionally in the Lutheran Church have had in the in in, in our membership, uh, they might feel maybe sometimes that they're not trusted enough, that they're perhaps not seen as adequate enough, that perhaps that they don't bring the right kind of language and theology 
uh, you know, into our way of life. And so there are, uh, there are suspicions. Uh, and then uh, people who come from, you know, the, the margin, so to speak, they begin to second guess themselves, kind of like Nathaniel. Can anything good come out of my own place, of my own town of Nazareth? And then Philip answers him in a, in a wonderful way, I think, which is a wonderful lesson for us. Uh, Philip said to him, come and see. So in other words, come to the margins. Come to the, the places where uh, we don't always see or want to see the wonderful things God is doing. And just come. Just come and see. And there to be surprised at the great things that God is doing out of the margins. Out of Galilee. Out of Nazareth in this case. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. It's almost as if Jesus is helping him see something good about himself. <laughs> you know, Jesus is affirming him in some way. You see, uh, one who like him is a Galilean. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? You know, people who are in the margins, they feel like they're not known, that they don't always matter. It is as if they're invisible, you know. But Jesus, no, he knows those like Nathaniel uh, who are kind of on the fence. And uh, Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. There's sort of a concern for uh, including into the great story of Jesus, you know, the Galilean, other Galileans too. Um, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, right? So the revelation of God arrives, comes to uh, people who are otherwise not seen as worthy or as fully uh, worth, worthy of that revelation. And so you see it, the inclusion here of the kingdom, right? Through Jesus, the inclusion of the Galilean into, the, into discipleship. Hanging out with Jesus. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the things that the text from John 1 said before uh, on the Spirit is that the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this Galilean, can the Spirit of God really come out of Galilee? You know, uh, He also says the text will baptize with the Spirit, which I think is very telling, meaning that he will have this generosity, right, where he will make the Spirit also uh, abide on his disciples, on these Galileans. I mean, if you look at the, the list of Jesus' disciples, they're all Galilean. They're either from Bethsaida or Cana or, you know, other places in Galilee. Uh, with the pot potentially the only one who probably wasn't was Judas. And, and we know how that went. <laughs> not, not so hot. Uh, but that's for another time and discussion. But the Spirit, you know, the same Spirit who abides in the Son in a permanent way. He, the Son, will baptize others with that Spirit. You know, he promises that Spirit to his Galilean disciples. To empower them, right, to go out into the world. 
and to uh, incorporate into the kingdom other people, right? Uh, whom the world might see as not worthy or excluded from the goodies uh, of salvation, abundant life, and uh, but not the promises for them. And there are all kinds of promises of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, as you know. Uh, so let me then just uh, share with you one more uh, text, and that would be that the gift of the Spirit in John 4 also goes out to people who are considered to be in the margin. So not only does the Spirit comes out of a marginal place, right, from Galilee, but then the Spirit is also uh, sent upon. Jesus baptizes with the Spirit. Not only his disciples at the end of the Gospel, where he breathes the Spirit upon them, John 20, so that they might go out into the world and bring abundant life, but even to people outside of Galilee, like the Samaritans. And that's what we have in John 4, that the Spirit of God is also promised to the Samaritan woman. And you might uh, recall from that text uh, how we have here a broken life. People often talk about, you know, the sin of the Samaritan woman. I often wonder about all these husbands. What's up with all these husbands? What, where are they? What were they doing? I mean, there's brokenness here all over the place. But it would be very easy to say, well, let's exclude her because she's, boy, not only a Samaritan, but she's had a rough life. And on top of that, she's a woman. You know, you have all these sort of measures of, by which you could, in human terms, with human eyes, exclude someone from the kingdom. Uh, and yet, Jesus comes in and uh, promises to her the gift of life, the living water. And we see this in John 4.10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, living water in John is another language for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is associated in John with the Word of God, but also with the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of the water in this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him, we can say in this case in her, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What is this water? You see, here she is being promised the Holy Spirit. So Jesus will baptize with the Spirit, the one who comes out of the margins of Galilee, in the Spirit, now goes out towards the other marginal peoples, and will bring the Spirit to them too. And so here we have a little bit of what might be called a Samaritan Pentecost. And uh, what does this do for the Samaritan woman? Well, uh, because the gift of the Spirit is also for her uh, through faith in Jesus, uh, you know, she now lives a restored life, right? She is deemed to be holy in God's eyes. Not only that, she is seen as an instrument of uh 
of, of witness in her community. She goes out and shares the word of God with her own people. How cool is that? Not only that, but then she has access to the God in prayer. Not because she belongs to a, a particular place, but because she has the spirit. You know, so now she worships in spirit and truth. And you have all these kinds of uh, language here, which shows how someone who would have seen as not belonging, you see, as an outsider, uh, is all of a sudden brought not only into the kingdom by the gift of the spirit, but is a participant, a contributor, who also brings the abundant life of Christ to others in her own community. So what, what do these texts teach us? They teach us that the Holy Spirit uh, does his work from the margins and moves the church toward the margins. <laughs> and I think this is often missed. Often we associate the Spirit only with the center, you know, um, we associate the spirit only with sort of uh, the, the places where we have arrived. And those places have now become central to us. And what that does is that, you know, we recognize the gifts of the spirit in particular places. But sometimes we could lose sight that the spirit is also, you know, uh, through the work of the church and her people, the spirit is also at work. Uh, in the margins, uh, and the Spirit is doing wonderful things. And so the invitation to us is, come and see. Dare to be surprised is the Philip invitation. Open our eyes and see what is possible and what God can do to bring people who are often in society seen as not belonging, uh, to see how they're not only brought into the kingdom, by the Spirit's work, that the Spirit is able to do this, but they're also by the Spirit empowered to be contributors to our common life together and our mission. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, this is a, a wonderful thing to remember, that the unity of the church and the mission of the church thrives on Catholicity, because that's what the Spirit likes to do. <laughs> And there's so many other examples in the Bible of this. I mean, I'm not going to get into the book of Acts. That's another, yet another one where the Spirit is working kind of out of, uh, not only out of Jerusalem, which would have been seen as the center, but moves out into, right, uh, Samaria and even the ends of the earth towards the Gentiles. So uh, my purpose here has been merely to help you see through biblical narrative, a little bit of what the Holy Spirit is up to so that you might rejoice in that gift, so that you might see it uh, at work and you dare to be surprised. <laughs>